0: at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. You won't be surprised to know that we're going to Acts chapter 10 in our Bible study this evening. So if you'd turn there in your Bible to Acts chapter 10, Peter preaches to uh, the Gentiles here, uh, particularly to Cornelius and his household. Uh, there is a little bit of a thorny issue that we can use uh, the beginning of our message to expose to us, and that is in um, Acts uh, 11, we're not going to 11 yet, but in Acts 11:14, 14, it says, um, in the recounting of all this, Cornelius said how he had seen an angel in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, then verse 14, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And previously, I I had said that Cornelius was saved in the Old Testament sense, but he was required to, uh, could I say, get the upgrade uh, version, if you will. Uh, Does that make sense? Uh, You know, he had the completion of the work of Christ now uh, to be and he had to be brought into the revelation of the new age. So there's some the new age of Christianity, not the new age as they talk about new age today. Um, you know, please uh, don't accuse me of that. Um, but uh, commentators like Kent and Ryrie disagree with the idea that he was saved already, and say that in 1114 it shows that he had yet to be saved at all. I <clears throat> I have a I have a cha- that's a challenge for me. It's a very strong text in favor of their viewpoint. Um, You know, others say, well, he was uncircumcised and so on, but that doesn't really matter because you don't have to be circumcised to be saved. If you go back to Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8, it says that he was a devout man, he feared God, he gave alms, he prayed to God always. I don't know what else I could say about somebody that would indicate in the Old Testament era, and, and that's where he was kind of existing. He was in a, this was a transitional period now, of course, uh, what uh, his life looked like. It certainly looked like he was uh, a saved person, if you would. If he had existed 100 years earlier, there was no Christian gospel to get to him, then what would we do with him? Um, but it does, well, so let me just go on with what I have in my notes. The, the You know, the idea, another commentator suggests that Cornelius already had a God-given faith but still had need to hear the gospel and to trust in Jesus. And I think the kind of back and forth on this, if it does anything, it proves one thing, and that is that if you existed in this transitional time and you believed what you knew up to that point, you still had to have the new information, if you will. You still had to believe in Jesus in order to to be saved now going forward. So, if I can go back to what I was saying earlier, it seems to me that a man with Cornelius' character was, if not saved, about as close as one gets to Old Testament salvation without being, you know, in Jerusalem and following the sacrificial system, being circumcised and all those things that would evidence true, you know, Jewish faith. Um and we saw those, you know, godly uh, words that were used about him. Um Ananias was described in a similar manner. Uh in other times you have uh, people spoken about as God-fearers and things that we take as a, as a positive expression of their spirituality. Um, some before they became Christians, you know, in the New Testament, others in the Old Testament. So um, given the doctrine of total depravity, it seems to me that God was at work in Cornelius' life through his faith already uh, up to this point. Um, And so maybe it was a work of God short of salvation, uh, but preparatory to it. And so I'm not going to make a huge deal out of it one way or the other. Really, God knows who belonged to him in any case. But regardless of all that, Cornelius had to hear the information that Peter was about to give him. Why? We know that because the angel came to him and said, you must do this. He told Peter, go with the men, don't doubt uh, Cornelius says to him, as we'll see in just a moment, we want to hear the things that God has commanded you to tell us. So uh, he was lacking in something that needed uh, to be in his life and, and the one and only way of salvation in Christ. So this feels a little strange to us because, you know, he exists, again, kind of in this no man's land. I was praying about a missionary kid who doesn't really belong and, in the culture where he was growing up and he doesn't really belong in the United States anymore. And so where is he? He's kind of a, you know, a third in a third culture here. You know, he's not in the old Testament era, but he's not in the new Testament era either. You know, he's kind of in this in between state and needs help. So he was required to hear the gospel and believe it. And God had ensured that that would happen uh, for those uh, people that he, had to set his favor upon. So let's look at chapter 10, verse 24. We, we finished last time with verse 23, where Peter went away the next day with those brothers from Joppa and accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. Now remember, The Bible is just describing accurately what happened. It doesn't say that this should happen. It just says what did happen. Then 26, but Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. So Peter and the traveling party didn't waste any time. They went right to it. They obeyed the angelic command and the heavenly vision. They did what God told them to do. Uh, Notice that Peter traveled with a number of people. It says, uh, some brethren from Joppa. And if you look in chapter 11, verse 12, probably the next page in your Bible, it says, the Spirit told me to go with them doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brothers accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. So why six? Did he need some extra bodyguards because there were uh, Gentiles there? He needed a lot of eyewitnesses. Not just two or three. This matter was going to be established by six eyewitnesses plus Peter, seven uh, plus Cornelius plus the men, the three men that Cornelius sent with him. So we have seven, eight, nine, ten, and the traveling party going back to Cornelius. Cornelius is eleven. All of his family and household. Uh, We have. I mean, the Bible says. What does it say? He saw. who, Who did he see? How many? He found many. had come together so if you have 11 to start with and then you have many more you know this is like going to our brother's house this summer when we had how many people there 40 to 50 people you know wow that's many people for one residential house you know had them you know packed into the backyard but uh, you know here he is with all these people so exciting uh, exciting times Cornelius had called all these people together Uh, something big was happening, and he wanted them to be a part of it. Can you imagine? (laughs) Uh, I was just thinking about our brother's prayer request. He listed off nine people that need the Lord. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have a block party over there and all those people could show up? And, you know, Mike might accidentally invite me to come as well or Jansen and share the gospel. (laughs) and just start having a little message there and an encouragement to those folks to know the Lord. Who knows? Something like that, maybe. But um, it strikes me here that Cornelius, what Cornelius was doing when Peter was on the road. Now, Cornelius knew how long it took to travel. So he knew it was a day, day and a half, two days to get down there. There's going to be a day and a half, two days to get back. So he knew the day they were coming. The urgency of the message, the angelic inner position probably told him that these guys aren't going to wait weeks, days, months, whatever to come. They're coming. And notice what it says in verse 24, would you please. Following day, they entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Now, he wasn't just waiting. He had gathered his people with him. But... I take from this idea that he was waiting, that he was eager to hear the message from God. Can you see that? He is anticipating better than, you know, Christmas Eve waiting for Christmas morning, that these guys are going to come and God is going to tell me something. I want to be able to trust that we too eagerly, Wait for the Word of God when there are opportunities to hear it. How about even if we gather beforehand in anticipation of its delivery? We had a brother who came here a half an hour early tonight. That was awesome. You know, we should all get here a half an hour early. (laughs) Anticipating, participating in a Bible study. This is amazing eagerly waiting, you know, some, some of us have the, oh, I got to go to church, <laughs> you know, no, you get to go, you get to go, you're not laying in a hospital bed somewhere, shack, you know, t- cooped up in your house because you can't get out of your bed or you're out of your chair or whatever, these people were eagerly waiting for the word of God to come to them, I hope you are as well. Verse 25 is a little bit of a uh, um, sad, not sad, but kind of off-kilter situation here. Um, Cornelius bows down at his feet, Peter's feet, to worship him. Now, there are a couple of things about this. Number one, uh, Cornelius, I appreciate his sincerity. Like, he is serious about this. He is, he is showing a level of reverence to the minister of the gospel that was beyond correct, but it was at least something. You know what I mean? Like, he cared. That's nice. But also, we notice that Peter, in the next verse, lifts him up. Peter does not accept worship. You don't go and kiss Peter's toes or whatever on his statue or whatever it is in Rome. Uh, Peter would have none of it. He is not the object of worship. He is the messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter had to correct him immediately, even though Cornelius sort of meant well. Um, there's a similar case of this when John the apostle falls at the feet of an angel in Revelation What is it? 20 uh 20 uh 19 or something um, and the the angel says look stand up i'm i'm just like you i'm a i'm a i'm one of your fellow servants now he's an angel but he still he doesn't deserve worship either In fact the bible says all of the angels of god are commanded to worship the son they point their worship toward him okay so peter's spiritual stature was just a man and if he's just a man then so is everybody else, just a man, just a person, just a human. Peter was not simply being modest as if he deserved the worship, was just humbly putting it off. Rather, he recognized he was not worthy of worship, and the reason was that he too was a sinful man. Remember when he fell down at the Lord's feet in the boat and said, Depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. That's Peter. Peter. He was a messenger. He was not the substance of the message. He was not the substitute of Christ on earth. He was not worthy of worship. This reminds us that Christ himself is, excuse me, worthy of worship because he's more than a mere man. He's God as well. And a number of passages of Scripture remind us of that. Um, in John's Gospel, in chapter 9, in uh, many other places, you have Jesus accepting Uh, worship, people bowing down before him. It says in uh, 938, uh, the blind man who Jesus comes again to to speak with and the man says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Or in uh, Luke chapter 24 and verse number 52, it says of the disciples at the ascension, and they worshiped him and returned with great joy. Or before that, even at the resurrection of Christ in Matthew chapter 28, verse number 9, it says about the women as they went to tell his disciples what they had seen, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. And so they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Well, that's very instructive. It reminds us that Christ is worthy of our worship. Only God's worthy of worship, so if Christ received worship and didn't rebuke people, that must mean he's God. He receives worship. Back to Acts chapter 10. Peter comes in, he finds a whole crowd gathered together. He had an evangelistic meeting set up for him by an angel, and then in turn by Cornelius. All he had to do was to show up. (laughs) Oh, that would be nice, wouldn't it? (laughs) Verse 28, please. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. Hmm. Is that the best way to introduce yourself to... uh, (laughs) audience (laughs) that seems a little a little off you know first thing he has to say stand up for I myself also a man and then uh, it's unlawful for me to go and keep company but God there's one of those great phrases but God in the Bible just spend some time and look all those up but God you can get a Bible software look on on the Bible Gateway probably and find those On your computer, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. This is how we understand the vision of the early part of chapter 10, which talked about the unclean animals. We we connect these two verses or sections together and realize this is what Peter had learned. the The law of Moses required Jews to separate from people of other nations particularly from their unclean diet, their pagan practices, from intermarrying with them. Um, You know, Peter's saying how unlawful it is. This is not just a minor infraction. This is a major issue of breaking the law. The situation was defiling in the traditional Jewish mind, even if being in the presence of, of a Gentile is not necessarily condemned in the law of Moses which is not, being just in the presence of, but the Jews had come to a kind of an ethnic displeasure with, you know, the Gentiles. God, however, had shown him, see that? God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. May I ask you, what has God shown you lately? What has God shown you lately? I'm not talking about with an angel from heaven or a voice from, you know, you know, the sky or anything like that. What has he shown you in his word? What have you read? What was God proven or made clear by evidence or reasoning? What has he explained to you in the word of God? What have you learned in the preaching or Sunday school class that you've learned? God showed me some things, Peter says, and this is how I should not treat people in a poor way. He does not consider them. He does not think of them as if, They were unclean. He was to stop thinking about people that way. The basis, of course, of his newfound understanding was the vision of the unclean food that he'd received a couple days earlier. In that vision, with its very peculiar timing, associated with the visitors, with the late lunch and all that, as well as the subsequent revelation that God gave him in chapter 10, verse 20, where he says, Go down with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Peter understood the connection of the food, vision, and the people to whom he was to minister. He would be able to reason from lesser to greater, namely that if God declared foods uh, clean, if he declared foods clean so that the Jewish person could not say they were unclean, Then the people they considered unclean, in part because of their unlawful diet, could also not be condemned as unclean either. Look, if you can't say that a pig is unclean anymore, how can you say that a man is unclean anymore? God had removed the ceremonial stigma and uncleanliness The whole panorama of New Testament biblical teaching comes in here, and we understand from Mark 7 and elsewhere in the Pauline literature that food is a non-issue. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and faith and joy in the Holy Spirit, Romans 14, 17. Peter had no objections left to uh, prevent him from going, and so he goes now. He comes to verse 29 and he says, therefore, since I learned this, you know, basically Peter's giving a testimony in a way in verse 28. He's saying, look, I could have never done this before, but I can do it now because God showed me that I can do it. So, therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I ask then, for what reason have you sent me? That's a good... Somebody calls you and wants you to visit. Start by asking them why they called you. Get some some information. Um, I suspect Peter had a good idea of what Cornelius needed, but it's always good to put on a listening ear. And this helped him to perceive later on in the chapter, in verse 47, that God had readied, prepared these people to receive the gospel already. He was just, you know, this is, I'm just thinking now, it's a perfect illustration of John chapter 4. God, uh, Jesus, told the disciples, just lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're what? What's the figure of speech he uses? They're white unto harvest. The, the, The wheat is ready to be harvested as the crowd out of this village of Sychar, or the, where the village nearby to the well there in Sychar, came out from the Samaritan woman's testimony to them. The, the harvest is great. And then he said to them that, you know, some have planted and watered, but and you've entered into their work. Like this is going to be easy pickings here. And Peter's recognizing that, all he's doing is he's coming alongside and God is using him to kind of, you know, kind of, what do you, how do you want to say, like finish the project a little bit, like tighten a few last little loose screws and everything is going to come together and start working. These people are going to get saved. Now I'm thinking about this. I'm wondering if you realize, like Peter is going to realize, that there may be situations in your life that are just primed, ready to go. And all you have to do is just turn the crank once and it'll start up. The machine will start running. Somebody will get saved, not because of all your wonderful words and all of your you know, years of preaching at them and all that stuff, but you just say a little bit of a gospel message. God's already prepared the heart and those people come to know. what you're doing is you're entering into the labors of other people, and that's a great privilege. And you have to realize you're not doing all the work. You're not doing any of the work, God's doing the work you're just entering into that blessed train of people who have shared the Word and the gospel, the Bible and translated the scriptures and preserved it and all of that you know all of the people that God has used how many how many people did God use to make sure your soul was saved? Can you even think about that? The English Bible, the Sunday school teachers the the mothers at the at the cradles. <laughs> You know, the, the fathers that taught their their families over all the years to bring the person that led you to the Lord to the Lord, and the person before them that led them and before them it's amazing. all these people entering into the labors, just like Peter here, and opening the door of faith, as it were, to the Gentiles so that they would receive the gospel. So Cornelius reviews what happened. In verses 30 to 33, and I think we might have to stop after this. Let me just read these and a couple comments. So Cornelius said, Four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. Okay, if you're going to play an angel, you've got to have bright clothing, okay? Uh, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. In other words, God has heard you. Send, therefore, to Joppa and call Simon here, whose name is, surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. Listen to this. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, remember. Peter's asked the question, why did you send for me? Why, why uh, have you sent for me? And he says, now, therefore, we are all present before God, to hear all the things commanded you by God. So, Peter's not the only one in the room. God is there. These are people are saying, We are gathered before God and these witnesses. Now, you tell us. You tell us what God has commanded you. Uh, talk about an opportunity on a silver platter. Cornelius didn't know exactly to say what to say that he needs. Cornelius doesn't know what he doesn't know. He has no clue. All he knows is that he's supposed to hear something that Peter says. Oh, I'd welcome that. People to visit the church. People to, you know... Right through the website, I get so much junk mail through the website. You know, people wanting to fix our fix our website, or you know, do search engine optimization, or sell us cleaning services, or what was it today? Somebody called the church, and and they want to know about how we process credit cards. And uh, well, I don't don't really do that, but uh, you know, can somebody call and say? What do you people do? I need something from God do you have any message for me from the Lord you know uh, I don't know what I don't know, but I want to know something from what God, of what God says but what did God command Peter to do to hear all the things commanded you by God? you know what we don't have to wonder we, we might think what what I mean, we know that God commanded Peter to go. He said, you know, don't doubt anything, just go. These guys, I sent these guys for you. You need to go with them. But what is it that God had commanded Peter? <clears throat> we, didn't, we don't need to go very far, but we do need to go farther back in the book of Acts to find out. What the Lord commanded Peter was this, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what God had commanded Peter, to give the gospel to every creature. That's, in fact, what it says in Mark's rendition of the ending of the, of the gospel around the time of the ascension. And so that's what the command was. Go to Jerusalem, wait, the Spirit of God's going to come, then you're going to be witnesses to me all the way to the uttermost parts of the earth. So he goes about doing that in this Gentile home. So it's about right now that Peter's mouth drops open and he says, wow, I have a captive audience here. A revolution is unfolding, continuing to unfold in Peter's mind as he pondered then was perplexed and received more revelation and had reflected on what the Lord told them. You're going to be a witness to me to the uttermost parts of the earth. Here's the first, you know, well, not the first. Actually, the the Ethiopian eunuch was the first uh, God-fearing Gentile, uh, as far as we understand. But here, Cornelius opening this up to uh, cities farther away. He had a couple days of travel to mull it over, and now he sees that God is really at work among people other than the Jews or of partial Jewish descent, the Samaritans. And so Peter grasped a principle in verse number 34, but we're gonna stop here and we're gonna see what that principle is next time. It's a tremendous principle, and I wanna say I thank God for it. (laughs) You'll see what it is when we come to 34 again next time. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we pray for your rich blessing on the lives of your people. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have the good experience of entering into the labors of many others before and even the work of your Spirit to prepare a heart, that we would just be able to say a few words like Peter, as we'll find out, couldn't even really finish his message before the people said, well, this is obvious, we need to believe this. They began to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit already before he even finished with his invitation. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be like Cornelius, eagerly anticipating the Word of God, like Peter, obedient to what we uh, hear from the Word, the things that we learn, the things that were shown, that it make, will make a difference, that will change our hearts, change us so that we won't just be sitting there, the same you know, couch potato that we were before we heard the Word. Uh, just continue to exist on, on in the same way. Know, Lord, that we would be changed. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we bid you a good night and God's blessings on you. Drive carefully home, okay? Don't, uh, don't mess around on these roads right around here. Super icy. So, And those of you that are online, Glad that you're able to be here and uh, glad that you're able to be at home already. So be safe uh, traversing your way from the living room to the bedroom, I guess. I'll say it that way tonight. All right. Good night. Have a good one.